At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Hello everyone, my name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World Podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I speak with Canadian photographer Perrin Adams. Perrin is an expert at survivalism, nature photography, landscape photography, and much more. We talk about his unusual lifestyle, how he got into photography, tips for landscape photography, and much more. Please enjoy. Hi Perrin, welcome to Great Big Photography World Podcast. I'm so happy to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Hey everyone, uh, my name is Perrin. I'm a photographer from Canada. I specialize in landscape, woodland, and nature photography. I live an interesting lifestyle. I am a nomad, so I actually travel around the country and I sleep in a different place every night and take beautiful photos along the way. And I'm uh, very excited to be on this podcast with, with Taya. So excited to have you here. You told me earlier before we started recording that you woke up next to a river, which I think to the listeners is going to sound like a dream life. It's so exciting, I think, to wake up in different places, and I'm sure it really inspires you as a photographer as well. It's very interesting. So often what I do is I'll wake up in the morning and uh, if I'm sleeping in a tent, so I'll stumble out of the tent, but sometimes I'll sleep in the truck because it's convenient. And I'll go to sleep in one place and I'll wake up in the same place, but the lighting will be completely different. So it makes the scene always a little bit more either dramatic or calm. And that's what I really like about this lifestyle is I can explore the same places, but in different lighting and different times of the year to get the most out of the scene. That's amazing. I imagine that it's very inspiring for you when you have all these different landscapes to choose from as you travel and you definitely have a great portfolio to show for it. When you share photos in our community, I'm always very surprised because it's always a variety of different landscapes and wildlife and details. It's always nice to see. So thank you so much for sharing in our community. Before we dive into your story and your photography, I want to talk a little bit about the technical side of things. What camera equipment do you use? Yes, I use a generally modest kit. So for my main cameras, I use a mirrorless system. 
which I, I talk about in the community. So I used an Olympus EM10 and it actually was my very first camera. I, I got it, I think 12-ish years ago and it still works perfectly fine. And it's just a, a great overall system. My backup camera is a, a Canon EOS 4000D. So it's, it's more of an entry-level DSLR, but it still gets the job done and it shoots video if I need it in a pinch. I use a, a Samsung S21 Ultra as my phone or smartphone camera, and I have a DJI Osmo Action 3 action camera because I do shoot a lot of video for different clients. For, for lenses, I don't use too many different lenses just because I'm not photographing wildlife, so I don't need a super long lens. So I, I just have a 14 to 44 millimeter kit lens, so that takes care of a lot of, of, a lot of my wide angles. Uh, a 55 to 80 millimeter kit lens for the Canon camera, which just takes care of any generic photos that I need. I don't really use that often unless I need a second second shooter for something. As far as gimbals are concerned, I have quite a few gimbals, but I only really use two of them. There's a DJI Osmo Mobile 3. This is for my smartphone because I do a lot of video with my smartphone, so a good stabilizer is needed. And uh, a Zhiyun Smooth 4 gimbal, which is one that I got off Amazon, but it's been fantastic. And finally, because I live on the road, I need to power it all. Uh, so I use uh, Jackery uh, 1000 power station and it takes care of the laptops, the cameras, the gimbals, all of my charging needs. Amazing. And to anyone who doesn't know what a gimbal is, can you talk a little bit about that and explain what it is? Yeah. So I have a problem with taking photos with my smartphone sometimes and that I'll have a lot of camera shake. Same with the video. Sometimes I'll get little, very little shaking, and that's all fixed through uh, stabilization. And a gimbal is just a device that you lock your phone into, and it acts uh, as a stabilization for your phone. So it will keep the phone in the same position no matter how you move the gimbal, if you're running. And I find it's crucial if you shoot a lot of video or if you're going to shoot low-light photography with uh, your smartphone. Okay, yeah, thank you for explaining. I think it's nice to have tools like that that can help you improve the quality of your work overall, whether you're photographing or filmmaking. I think it's yeah, it's an amazing tool to add to your gear. Yeah, especially if you're going to shoot a lot of social media sites like Instagram, for example, and TikTok prefer a portrait mode video, so it fills the whole screen. So if you're going to buy a gimbal, a lot of the older ones had the capabilities to do portrait mode, but it wasn't built for it. So a lot of the times the gimbal will actually show in the shot. So if you're going to buy a gimbal for that kind of work, ensure that it does portrait mode and it's built to do that. So a lot of the newer DJI Osmo gimbals will have that feature built in. So just look for like, a, I think four is the latest one now. Okay, thank you for that advice. And before you became a digital nomad, you were in different industries, you had different things going on. Were you into photography back then or did you get into photography when you decided to pursue this different lifestyle? So photography has an interesting story throughout my life. There's actually an intermission, I guess you could say, throughout the story. So I originally started photography back in 2005. And before then, I hadn't really thought much of it. I like looking at pictures, but it never really uh, sparked an interest. 2005, I actually went to college for journalism. So I would be writing articles for newspapers, reporting on the news. And they had a photography and photo editing program built or course built into the program, which uh, I took. And the interesting thing about that is 
this program required that I would do pretty much the entire thing from research to interviewing to taking the photos, editing the photos, putting together the stories and actually putting them on in, in the page for the paper. So it really opened my eyes to a lot of what I could do back then in terms of editing for photos and, and resolutions. And that's where I kind of got the, the foundation for that. Now, I never ended up staying a journalist. I, I think I worked in the industry for about two years. I worked for some newspaper, a couple of newspapers in that time. And then my focus had shifted and I went into a, a different industry, telecommunications at that time. So didn't really take a lot of photos during that kind of three or four years until when I worked for the, the telecom company, they were all about cell phones. And then cell phone cameras were just starting to really expand and and become really good sh shooting devices. So I had access to all of these. And I would take them home and I would play around with them. And I, I learned a lot about how smartphone cameras worked. And that's when I started taking more photos. That was about 2010 to about 2012. And then 2012 was when things started really picking up. I, uh, my friend, a good friend of mine who lives in BC or British Columbia now, Canada, we used to go on hikes every week, every Sunday in the forest. And uh, he was just getting into photography and he had just bought a camera. So I would go out on these hikes with him and I would watch him take these photos and see what he was doing compositionally. I didn't know it at the time, but my brain was analyzing it. And that's when I started bringing out my phones and taking photos then. Then one thing led to another, bought my first camera and started learning the fundamentals for photography. So I actually took an online course, two of them. One was basics and one was the advanced. And that's where I learned a lot of the theoretical work. And that helped kind of refine my, my photographs. And from there, I wanted to explore all aspects of photography. So I started in landscape and nature, and it's always been my core. But I've also been a product photographer, an engagement photographer, family and wedding. So I, I did all of that to try and drum up a business. And it was a really fantastic learning experience. I met a lot of great people and learned a lot of stuff about photography. But obviously, I, I kind of drew came back to the landscape era. And from there, I went back to college and I became an expedition guide and an interpretive naturalist. So I would my career was to go out and teach people about the natural world. So as you can probably kind of connect the dots there, landscape photography and being an interpretive naturalist really go well together. And I started taking people out and, and showing them how to take different photos. So the journey's kind of been a roller coaster and it's evolved, but it's it started as just fun. Then it turned into try and make it a business. And now I've moved on to let's see if we can inspire other people to, to learn what I learned and, and see if I can inspire people to go out and, and shoot landscape photography, you know? Absolutely. I understand that. And I think it's so amazing that you found a path that works for you and that you experiment different things. Because oftentimes, and I say this a lot on the podcast, but sometimes photographers feel that they have to stick to the path that they chose initially. And that's not always true because things change. Your feelings might change about a certain genre that you want to specialize in. You might want to try something different or it might not work out. And there's always a new path that's available for you. And I think there's always something better out there. You just have to continue to be curious and open and not feel discouraged by the failures that you will inevitably face. Exactly. Once, once you stop being curious, then things become stagnant and the creativity doesn't flow. And that's how a lot of 
I guess you could call them ruts are created and then you got to dig yourself out and, and refine where that passion was. So I, I think you make a very good point. Keep things, change it up, keep it curious and, and things will flow after. Absolutely. You mentioned that you are an expedition guide. In one of your community posts, you said that there was a time when you basically had these students following you around and you showed them how to take photos and they didn't seem that engaged. But then you turn to the detailed scene and you show them how to take photos that were simple to you, but very meaningful to them. And immediately you noticed a big difference in their reaction. As a photography educator and a guide, what is the most important lesson that you've learned while working with different people? It's never too late to go back to basics. It was one of those moments where I was trying to keep people inspired at looking at a white wall because it was winter, right? And there was snow everywhere. And and while yes, it was it was a beautiful scene and you could you could find some photos there, everything was across the lake and it just you could see see their minds going, Well, I don't have something that could get me close there. And that's when I realized, okay, well, let's have a look at the ground. And that's when I started noticing, okay, so we have some a splash of yellow that contrasts with the snow, and we have the the pink red hues of a rose hip kind of a dried rose hip dangling in the cold breeze. So I was like, okay, everyone, look around, get close. Smartphones have amazing depth of field when you get right up close to an object. And and that's when they started going off and doing that. And that's when I realized that like the simplest approach is usually the best. So for example, in this case, telling them to get up close to their subjects versus trying to make something work that wasn't working. I, I learned that if someone is kind of struggling or to simplify a concept for, for people, it's you need to approach it in, in a real simple way. <laughs> yeah, I think it's important to remember that students and educators, they have a different perspective. Both perspectives are valuable and valid, but the student's perspective might be very different to yours because you know so much already, you know way more than they do about a certain subject. And so maybe the way that you would approach it isn't inspiring to them yet because they're not on that same level or because they just look at the world differently. So it's nice to explore different options when teaching for sure. I've definitely learned my lesson because in the past I used to think that I needed to prove my the amount of knowledge I had about certain subject and I would just throw jargon at my poor students and it just didn't work because it wasn't engaging or fun for them. You have to be minimalistic when it comes to those things sometimes. Exactly. That that's a really good point too. And and I've done the whole jargon spiel too. I've thrown out random words and be like, oh, you have no idea what I'm talking about, do you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I think also intimidating for the student because if they start hearing words like even aperture, uh, it took me a few years to even understand what aperture was as a beginner. Because I wasn't doing much research. I, I just was just practicing and practicing. And so when I would hear photographers, professional ones, talking about aperture, I would just freeze. <laughs> like, oh, no, <laughs> this is not really interesting to me. I want to see how it's actually done. I don't want you to throw me. Uh, at me. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, I, I'm the same way almost. That, that's really funny, actually. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, Everyone has their own learning style. I think it's so important to adapt to different people and students. And that's a really beautiful part of being a photography educator and yeah, I'm glad that your students are also inspiring you to think differently about the world and your photography as well. You mentioned smartphone photography. Do you have any tricks for taking beautiful smartphone photos? I think I have a trick and a mentality. <laughs> so 
I am a firm believer that smartphone cameras have their time and place. I treat my smartphone as a convenient point and shoot that I can just whip out and take a quick photo of a scene if needed. A good example of this is if I'm going for a hike and I don't really feel like carrying my camera, but it's golden hour and I've never been to this location, I'll bring my smartphone just because I can capture grand scenes and use it as a reference point to come back as later. The nice thing is that the smartphone cameras, you don't really need to tweak much. The auto modes in a lot of these models are, are pretty good. And with the power of editing, you can really bring out your specific vision of the photo. The only thing that I don't really enjoy about smartphones and why I don't recommend it as a main camera is that it lacks a lot of the detail that a good piece of glass or a lens will give you. Um, and this is because a lot of the heavy lifting is done by the software in the phone. So you'll notice in a lot of smartphone shots, even if they're edited to look good, if you zoom in, there's this weird synthetic look to them. Whereas with a lens, you get these crisp details that just pop out and it's a little more kind of natural looking. So don't heavily rely on your smartphone, but use it as a strategic tool to help you remember locations to go back to. And if you see a really awesome shot that you just want to grab, just it's a good way to do it. And that's great advice. Thank you for sharing that. And I want to go back to your profession now and your lifestyle. Many of your posts on social media are related to survivalism, which I'm sure a lot of the listeners are really curious about. Please tell me more about your job and the kind of content you create for clients and how it all relates to photography. Yes. So one of the reasons I went back to college to be become an interpretive naturalist was to learn a lot about the environment that was around me. And this all stems from a lifelong passion of like camping. <laughs> I, I love going camping and it's been kind of a common theme in my life. So I wanted to, to steer towards that kind of my gradual life change to this nomadic style. So after 2020, I stopped a lot of the guiding stuff that I was doing and I focused more on starting my own business as a freelancer. So I went to school for journalism. English is also a passion of mine, writing the written word, I guess you could say. So uh, I wanted to utilize those skills a little more. And I started as a freelance writer. And my role there was I would go out and look for clients that I could write articles for, informative educational articles on how to survive out in the wild. And there's so many websites out there that have this kind of work out there. So it wasn't too difficult to, to find a few clients, send them a few samples. And that's really where I started honing those survival skills because writing article after article, I was constantly researching. I was taking photos for these articles. They wanted like step-by-step -step processes on how to build a lean-to shelter or how to make a jewelweed salve, which is good for, for poison ivy and other skin irritations. So I was able to, at that point, integrate my photography into my articles and provide my clients a little more value because the articles would be tailored to the pictures. From there, uh, that's how I found photographycourse.net. I had a strong photography background and I really wanted to flex those wings. So that's kind of why I started writing articles about photography and that way it kept my knowledge up to snuff and I was still able to, to teach others. Now, the video is kind of the last aspect. Now, I'm a videographer as well and I work with different companies across the world. They are survivalist companies, they are hunting marketplaces and 
they really need content that shows people that being out in nature isn't as difficult as is led to believe. And from there, uh, I have kind of integrated more of my photography into that. And clients are asking for specific photos uh, of things that I'm doing. Or for example, I'm working with a client right now where I have to shoot a video on making clay pots in the wild. So I actually have to source the clay from a riverbed. I have to mold it and I have to fire it and take photos and and video along the way. So the business in the last three years kind of exploded that way. And I'm grateful that I'm able to integrate my photography into all aspects of it. That's really exciting. What an amazing journey you've had. And it's so nice that you're able to use all of your knowledge, all of your skills from different areas in one industry, so to speak. It's great that you're able to utilize all those skills in that way. I'm sure it's very gratifying for you and great for your clients as well. So you started out as a writer at photographycourse.net. And you mentioned earlier that you got into writing. And it's been so nice to read your articles on the website. And then you became an active member of the community, and now you're one of our ambassadors. And I would love to know how you have personally benefited by being a member of an online photography community. Basically, to put it in a nutshell, it's helping me flex my photography wings a little more. So I'm able to interact with different people, obviously be a subject matter expert on different aspects of photography and and interact with with awesome people like you. So it, it basically keeps my skills sharp in that sense. It also challenges me to be consistent with my photography in both themes and keeping up with content because there are, I guess you could say, there are other people in the forum that rely on our posts to help keep them push forward and and growing as a photographer. So I, I find that the challenge, I, I go out more often than not, uh, even since your, your posts about going for spending time uh, doing photography every week. I, I find myself and your your virtual voice in my head going out with my camera saying, okay, what can I shoot that could teach someone something today? So I love that aspect of it. It, it basically just keeps me on my toes and that's kind of what I need. <laughs> I like that. I can relate to that, definitely. It's nice to be a part of a group, either offline or off- online, that makes you feel welcome, but also that inspires you and challenges you to try new things because for me as well whenever I see a post from you or from someone else in the group I have to think about things a little bit differently sometimes because I realize I don't know everything (laughs) even though I selfishly think that I do sometimes but it's always refreshing to realize okay I don't know this topic I don't know I don't have the answer to this question so let me do some research let me try taking photos a different way and it just makes you think differently about yourself and also the world around you. And so I'm happy to know that you are taking more photos every week, basically, because of the community. (laughs) That's very encouraging to know. (laughs) It's actually interesting. It's not more photos a week. It's more photos that I'm paying attention to and editing to see what I can show people. So it's, it's, it's actually more time spent on photography than I was before which is nice. And I wanted to point out something that you said uh, that you selfishly think that you know everything about photography. I think almost every photographer has that complex until they snap out of it. Because I, I, I was like that too. I, I was all excited about the, the exposure triangle. What could I teach people about the exposure triangle? But really, it's just like you don't need to, to flash what you know in people's faces. Just have it come up gradually, be curious, ask them questions and, and go from there. Yeah, I think just the whole experience of 
teaching other people is humbling, which is kind of ironic because you think, okay, I'm coming from a place of knowledge and I'm helping people. But in reality, it's humbling because you realize, okay, I don't know this. I'm not really sure about this. They're asking me questions that I don't know the answers to. Even if I do, I'm not sure if I can eloquently explain. And so it's very healthy, I think, for anyone's ego. I agree. I totally agree with that. Photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code podcast to get 50% of your first year as a premium member. As someone who often travels in wild areas, what advice would you give to traveling photographers? The biggest thing I've learned on this journey is how to take care of your gear. And for, I would say, close to a decade before doing this, I was the typical photographer that would have a camera bag. I'd throw it in my car, but most of the time it would be safe in my house and where nothing could reach it, animals, the environment, stuff like that. As soon as I moved into this kind of lifestyle, things needed more attention. So for example, if I would sleep in the vehicle and I didn't have it properly insulated, condensation would form and that would put moisture in the air, which would cause a lens to fog up if the temperature was too cold. So taking care of your gear is paramount because you don't have a safe home that you dry home that you can put it in. There is always the potential possibility that someone could break in and take your stuff. So you need to take precautions in order to protect your gear. Having a proper place for it in in your vehicle. Sometimes I just, and I'm guilty of this, I'll throw my camera gear in the truck and I'll put stuff on top of it. And I'll I'll go back later and say, "Uh uh-oh, that's not good. Have a look at it. Everything's fine. But you don't want to take those chances. And one other thing, if you're traveling in wild areas, just make sure you have your memory cards. <laughs> the amount of times that I've gone out and my camera has no memory card in it, it's either in my laptop or I've left them back in my bag two or three kilometers back, it then becomes a smartphone shoot at that point. So take care of your gear, make sure you have your memory cards, and also wear bug spray if you're in a heavily infested area because mosquitoes are pretty bad here at this time of year. <laughs> Very good advice. And when it comes to just as you're traveling and you're taking photographs, you've probably been on so many adventures and you mentioned the possible risks of just even carrying your equipment with you. In terms of wildlife and everything else, what's the craziest thing that you've experienced so far? Well, there's actually a few that come to my mind. There was one, this was actually a trip I went back on a couple of years few years back with the school that I was going to, to become an interpretive naturalist, we we had just gotten our sea kayaking certification and we were traveling across Georgian Bay, which is on Lake Superior, the, the largest freshwater lake in the world. 
And we were heading to an island to spend two or three days there to do some activities and to do some certifications while, while we were out. And uh, I remember the waves, the waves at least two to three feet high. I was actually up in the air, it seemed, and the person next to me was down because the waves were, there was a, that much of a difference. And uh, we had all our camera gear on there. No one capsized, which was good, but we made it to the island and we were only supposed to be there for, I think it was two days, two or three days. And we ended up staying two days extra because the waves were too high and we, w- we couldn't leave the island. <laughs> so we were stuck in the middle of this massive lake and uh, we didn't bring a lot of extra food, but we just squeaked by. I think it, there was like 10 of us that were there. And uh, yeah, basically we were marooned on an island and we got some excellent photos. I think I got one of a fox snake, which is a beautiful different colored snake that you can find there. Um, another interesting story that, that came to my mind was the time that I floated my backpack and camera across a lake. And while I was swimming beside it, because there was kind of this channel in between the mainland and an island that I wanted to camp on and ended up swimming through the water. I had a dry bag, uh, so it was able to hold air and then the camera gear was on top and I basically swam it across the the channel to the island. That was pretty sketchy. I'm glad I didn't lose any camera gear. I did lose a GoPro once doing that, though, so I don't recommend doing it if you have expensive camera gear. Oh my goodness. That's, those are great stories, but I imagine that when you were experiencing them, it was really scary, <laughs> but I'm glad everyone was safe in the end. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't scary per se, more of a sense of unease because obviously food stores were dwindling and we were new kayakers at the time too, so we, we weren't used to it. But we, we, got, we, we made it out the last day in the morning. We left before the waves got really, really big and, and we made it back safely, so... Yeah, that's good to know. Wow, we have so many stories. You could write a book about your life, and I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in reading it. Maybe one day. I still got a lot of adventuring to do, though. Yeah, more chapters that you need to add to the book, right? (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) You take a lot of very colorful and peaceful landscape photos, and I know, including myself, a lot of people struggle with landscape photography because you're not really sure how to approach it in terms of composition and everything else. Do you have any tips for perfecting the art of landscape photography? Yeah, there's a few few things that I've kind of learned that that helped me. So compositionally, using something like the rule of thirds or leading lines really can help people who struggle with compositions. So the rule of thirds, for those who aren't aware, if you think of your scene divided into a three by three grid of squares, there are four intersecting points in the middle that our, our eyes are naturally drawn to. So if you place your subject anywhere in those intersections based on what's around it, you can really emphasize the story that you're trying to tell with the image. As you'll see in a lot of my photos, things will be off center just a little bit. And that's just to add some interest so that your eyes stay on the photo and kind of look for more details. The leading lines aspect is fantastic because our eyes love to follow paths and you'll find that with a lot of my woodland shots i will kind of take a shot of a trail that's winding and this promotes or yeah it it entices your eyes to keep looking down through the image to the end another great use of leading lines would be if you're taking photographs of beaches 
And you'll see there's almost always a natural curvature where the sand meets the water. And that is also very enticing for our eyes to follow. So if you can use those two techniques and then for broad landscapes, and then if you're in a forest, for example, framing is very important. And I'm actually bordering a forest right now and I'm looking at it as I'm talking about this and I can see that there's a maple tree in front of me and the and the branch almost it comes down but it swoops out and behind it is kind of a, another uh, what is that a spruce tree yeah it's a spruce tree white spruce and it frames it really nicely so if you positioned your camera by using that branch as a frame you could add kind of a natural constraint for the eyes to follow into the image so those compositions or techniques are what I focus on just because they've been the most effective for me. Another big thing I found with landscape photography is that patience is a necessity. If, if you're someone that has trouble standing still, keep yourself active. The benefit of that is say you're going to a, a, a planned destination and your lighting isn't perfect. The best thing to do is to wait. So uh, I, I've been on beaches for up to four hours just to see how the light will change as it goes from kind of midday to to sunset golden hour areas so the other thing that changes is the intensity of the light so as you get further along in the day the light becomes softer which is awesome because the shadows won't be as deep and harsh shadows is a loss of detail in a lot of images it's hard to recover that that information so that means taking pictures in open spaces so fields, mountain ranges, anything like that, when the sun is the highest, is a tricky way to shoot. Not only will the colors generally be more washed out, but the shadows will be super dark. And it creates this kind of contrast that conflicts with a lot of nature. So, for example, leaves tend to reflect a little bit of light. So in a harsh midday sun, taking pictures of leaves, you'll notice that there'll be spots on it where the detail will be lost and that's just because the sun is too harsh. So there are ways you can do that. Post-processing is pretty powerful. You can edit the photo out. I'm kind of a purveyor of take the image as I see it and then kind of bring the image to my, my life. So I stay away from midday sun for most of my images. It just creates this haze that I don't really like. And I'll stick to the mornings and the blue hours and, and the golden hours. And the last tip I have is for people who love to hike and take photos. Use a monopod instead of a tripod. Monopods are awesome for quickly changing positions. A tripod is better if you're setting up in a location and you're waiting for the light to change. It gives just more stability. But a monopod is just great for that extra third point of contact when you're, when you're taking a shot. And it also makes a great hiking pole if you break yours or something. <laughs> and I think, that's, I think that's everything that I can, I can think of. Those are the big things that I remember when I'm shooting landscape photography. That's great advice. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Speaking of the tripod versus monopod thing that you said, what what are the main differences? As in, I've never used a monopod, so I'm not really sure. Uh, it doesn't work the same way as a tripod. It It's kind of the same concept. A tripod has three points of contact on the ground, where a monopod only has one. So... It is not a great tool for long exposure photography because you'll get camera shake due to the how slow you'll need the shutter. But if you're doing portraits out in the forest or if you're 
just taking woodland shots, having that one plant on the ground and being able to kind of swivel it in place to take images is really handy. Whereas a tripod just provides the ultimate stability. So if you don't want any camera shake, that's the, the way to go. So I'll, I'll kind of switch up the two. My tripod turns into a monopod. So I just take out the middle piece and it does it. <laughs> so those are kind of the, the big differences. One is super stable. The other you or tripods really stable. The other you can maneuver easier and it's lighter. Wonderful. Okay, thank you. I've never heard of it before. How did I not know about it? Because I take a lot of self-portraits, and so I'm always looking for the best gear for that. I'm not sure if that would be a good option for me, but in any case, thank you for sharing. Yeah, no problem. Well, my next question to you is not directly related to photography, but as a preface, I think how we feel as people in our daily lives will inevitably have an effect on our photography and our creative life. And so given that, I would like to ask you, how your lifestyle has changed you as a person because you had such a drastic change. And I know a lot of people dream of pursuing a lifestyle like yours. What are the biggest benefits that you noticed when you switched from one lifestyle to the one that you're currently having? Well, I'll be honest, it wasn't all sunshine and roses. I feel like I had to rewire my perception of how to function in society. So I say that because one of the bigger benefits of this lifestyle is I've learned to live with less. I used to be the techie, get all the latest gear and clothing and all that stuff. And over the last few years, that has really mellowed out to where I'll spend more time in thrift stores and, and where I will look for free adventures rather than paying for, to go to a park or something like that. So it's, it's made me more frugal which has allowed my sense of being come out more. So my creativity is, is uh, changed in that sense, my, my whole general outlook. So my problem solving skills, you really need strong problem solving skills. Cause I mean, if you're 50 kilometers out in the bush and something goes wrong on, on your vehicle, you have to figure it out yourself. You don't have any service uh, ingenuity. Um, MacGyvering, I don't know if you know who MacGyver is. He was a, a television show back in the 80s that aired in North America, and he could make things out of anything. He used duct tape to do whatever. So I've, I've learned a lot of that through this. Another benefit is I have not regained, but I have changed my love for people. So I meet a lot of like-minded people on, on this journey, at random truck stops, and I'll talk to them and and learn their stories. And I have to say, and you might even attest to this from, from your international travels, that the general population of the world are great people. And everyone's got an incredible story to tell. And as I've journeyed on this in this lifestyle, the stories have been never ending. I've, I've heard stories from people that it's like, how could that even happen to someone? And it's, it's really helped me with my storytelling, I guess you could say too, because it's just, it's really inspiring to hear what other people have to say, living the same kind of lifestyle that, that I am. That's amazing. And it reflects your real passion for traveling. And once again, I just want to say, I'm really happy that you found a journey or a path lifestyle that works for you. And definitely, yeah, it's, I can attest to that as well. I think a lot of people are wonderful. And if you just take the time to get to know them, 
you'll understand why they are the way they are. Even a short summary of their life can completely change the way that you look at a person. And I think that's so exciting about getting to know people and I think also slowing down and just giving yourself the chance to get to know people is important because we are living in a very modern society, which is amazing. But on the other hand, it can also prevent us from getting to know other people because we're busy, busy, busy all the time. And so I think your lifestyle has also allowed you to slow down and really cherish every single moment and cherish the people that you meet as well. Yeah, t- technology has made everything quick, quick, quicks. And we have easy access to almost anyone just through the internet. So it really has taken away the substance of conversation that we used to have. And I was terrible. I I used to text over phone calls <laughs> and, and I didn't like talking uh, in, in person, but like you said earlier, it's it's a humbling experience. You get to you get to actually have a conversation. People see your reactions in real time. You can't hide behind a phone screen. So it really makes you look at yourself and how you react to different situations as well. Definitely, yeah. I think that's a special gift. And I was recently writing an article on how to become a portrait photographer. And one of the tips is to have good interpersonal skills. It made me think about the importance of just improving your skills because some people think that they can't socialize. But then once they meet enough people, especially enough good people, then they realize, oh, I can actually socialize well with people. I think it's all about seeing potential in yourself and realizing, okay, I can work on this weakness. I can work on this thing that I'm not entirely confident in. And there's just no specific talent that everybody has. We all need to improve continuously, whether it's in photography or in our social lives or anywhere else. The key is not to be afraid to ask for help or to ask questions. That's that's what limits a lot of people. They don't want others to think less of them, which obviously causes things like anxiety and 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 shyness, right? So just yeah, don't be afraid. That's the the biggest thing. What's the worst that can happen? They'll say, "No, I can't help you." Yeah, and they're not going to say, "Get away from me, you silly person." <laughs> They'll just be like, "I'm sorry, I don't have time." <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> I have one more question for you, Perrin, and that is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? Honestly, I think I've already achieved it. And it's, I I think, changing to this lifestyle and focusing more on, on my photography is what I wanted as one of my goals. But going forwards, I think what I continue to want to do is be almost an educational resource for aspiring photographers who are are passionate about about their craft. And I've learned a lot in my journey and now is my time to kind of send it out to those who are willing to to listen. And I think photographycourse.net is a great, great outlet for that. I mean, the folks folks there have been, you guys are amazing. Well, thank you. And I'm so happy that you found a path that, as I said earlier, is, is perfect for you. And you're finding all these opportunities to share your knowledge with people. And I can see even in the community that your knowledge is helping others. And they ask questions and they think differently about wildlife photography and nature photography, thanks to you and your very educational posts. So thank you for being a part of the community. And thank you for being an ambassador. And thank you very much for taking the time to speak with me today. I learned a lot from you and I could look forward to seeing all the other amazing things that you create in the future yeah th- thanks for having me it's uh, it's been a really fun time you're very easy to talk to and uh, i i'm really excited to be a part 
of the photographycourse.net uh, site. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. I really enjoyed finding out about Perrin's very interesting lifestyle and his photography. I think that his lifestyle is inspiring and the fact that he has so many opportunities to meet new people and just enjoy nature in his everyday life is motivating. And if you are interested in this kind of lifestyle, then definitely join our community and ask Perrin questions. I'm sure he'll be happy to answer. There's a link to our community in the description. Thank you once again for listening, and I'll see you next week. There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.